A spider, even those that are, we would term aggressive, yeah. they're often aggressive because they're displaying. Oh, right? okay. And you know, rattlesnakes are doing the same thing, right? That's the whole purpose of the tail is right. they do not actually want to strike you. Uh -huh. They're trying to say, just leave me alone, just leave me alone, just leave me alone. You don't want to mess with me. This is Changing the Narrative. I'm your host, David Reeves. Uh, we are changing the narrative every day because the narrative has been set, but it's a false narrative, a narrative that we are nothing more than cosmic accidents, the result of star stuff, that uh, we have no purpose in life, that we're simply happy accidents with mutations that have accumulated over the years. Uh, we are changing the narrative. We're going back to the truth. We want you to know that you were created in God's image, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And today we've got kind of a, a really interesting topic. It's going to be interesting for some of you guys and uh, horrifying for some of you because my guest, David, tell me just a little bit about yourself. What What is your topic of research at the moment on? Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So. <laughs> Thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I study right now. I've been focused on studying arachnids, um, okay. uh, spiders in particular. It's okay. been a passion of mine for several years now. I've done everything from studying black widow venom and black widow silk. Uh, now I'm doing some invasive uh, spider research where there's an Asian spider that's come over in Atlanta and we're tracking its spread to see if it's messing with the ecosystem at all wow okay okay tell me uh let's let's back it up just a little bit um dr david nelson mm -hmm. you uh what give me your story give me your story how you got interested in studying these things kind mm -hmm. of the progression how did okay. it all happen well yeah we have to go way back okay well, that's good <laughs> I, I remember um as a four-year-old i remember loving animals yeah. and i would uh go to church and I would introduce myself as like a spider monkey. And that was because my mom had taken me to the library and I'd picked a book on spider monkeys. And the next week we'd gone back to the library and whales were my new thing. And so I'd go in and say, no, 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 don't call me spider monkey anymore. Call me whale, call me dolphin, something like that. So I, I've just been in love with animals my entire life. Yeah. And I felt that once I got to college, um, there's, you know, if, if this has been something that has been consistent um, a theme of my life, a drive in my life, maybe that's something that God has placed on my heart. Yeah. So I wanted to pursue it. So that's where I, I pursued biology and okay. um, ended up uh, falling in love with kind of the small things in biology and especially mm. the really, really strange stuff, things that were fantastic and outside the norm, like not mammal, right? So, right. Uh, that's kind of what drew me towards spiders was that they're just so different than anything, you know, that we see in our everyday life, you know, and when you really get to study them and, and, and look at how they survive and do their thing, yeah. they're just fantastic. You know? They are unique creatures now. So I'm admitting to the world right now. I have a little bit of arachnophobia, just a little bit, uh, maybe maybe a maybe unhealthy, but I'd like to say not too bad. Um, however, Let's talk just a little bit about spiders and the purpose they serve hmm. within ecosystems, okay. right? Yeah. Because they are uh, keeping insect populations down. Yep. So tell, yep. tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, number they're the number one predators of, of other arthropods, okay. right? So without spiders in the world, I like to tell the you know people I talk to to convince them of their you know uniqueness and coolness <laughs> and necessity is uh, without them you, we wouldn't have food because. Okay. 
you know, you would have all those pest organisms that would eat crops and yeah. spiders are removing a huge amount of, of that from the ecosystem to okay. keep it in check, to keep balance. Nice. Um, so they're really, really crucial for as, as arthropod kind of like gatekeepers. And, and they, when you remove them or when you lose them, you're going to have a, a increase in all those kinds of herbivorous um, okay. insects that will kind of denude plants and things like that. But with yeah. the spiders there, you have balance. You have balance. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see kind of all over the world yes. is we see this carefully crafted balance <clears throat> and yet there are a lot of people today that look at that balance as purely accidental yeah i tend to see design within that yeah for sure i i think that you know uh, a good way of thinking about it is um when you take an engineering perspective right yeah. one of the things that you would want in a system is a system that is sustainable yeah uh, and that's what we see within nature. It's, it's got self-correcting mechanisms. So if something becomes too, too little, you know, there's a response to it in the environment that try to raise it back up. And if something starts to overpopulate, there's a decrease mechanism and you have this balance. And I really think that that kind of speaks to an engineering principle. And yes, it does. that then kind of leads us back to the engineer. You know? Right, right. Who is that engineer? Who is the, yeah, a divine engineer that has crafted mm -hmm. all of this in such a way that it all works together and for the most part it works pretty well yes mm -hmm. but then again there is and i'm going back again to a biblical principle there's a dominion mandate mm -hmm. and that means that we should be looking after nature oh absolutely yeah and that's one of the things that you're actively pursuing right now is looking after nature by studying an invasive spider species mm -hmm. that has taken over a particular region to say, well, is this healthy? Is this hurting the environment? Yeah. What What's going on here? Go over a little bit of that, and then we'll back up and continue with the sure. rest of your yeah. story. Yeah, so the project that we're working on right now, um, anytime you bring in a, a, a species from somewhere else, an introduced species, you always run the risk that the balance of the ecosystem will be upset because in its native range, you know, there is that balance. So you have this organism occupies a, pay, a place within the ecosystem. Okay. They eat things and, or, and then are in turn the food source for other things, right? Gotcha. You transport that to a new location and what's eating it? You know, the, oh, the predators right. that are in that location are the things that are that would be meant to keep it in check don't recognize it as a food it's nothing that they've ever encountered before okay and so even if that organism isn't necessarily like directly causing harm it could still nothing is balancing it there's no counteracting mechanism to it so it continues to you know grow and reproduce and reproduce and reproduce and yes. so then they start to take over and that might be what we're seeing with this particular spider is nothing has kind of cued in on it yet to eat it and in the areas like north of Atlanta and around the Atlanta area in Georgia, um, where it has been introduced the longest, it's the dominant species that you see. When wow. you go out, you'll see 15 to 1 that compared to any other native species. Is that right? Yeah, so they're everywhere and they're expanding their ranges. We can watch, we've been watching them for a few years now, um, and we can see that they're progressively spreading in all directions. Uh, it looks like they're spreading maybe a little bit north faster than south, but okay. um, there might be some weather reasons to that as well. Yeah, I suspect. I su mm -hmm. uh, okay, <clears throat> when, were, when did you first notice them? So um, they were first described in 2014, 2014. as being introduced. Okay. 
and then in 2015, the the paper by the people who kind of first saw, noticed them came out, and that's when I kind of found that paper. I yeah. just recently moved back to the south from from California. Okay. And uh, I kind of got excited about, oh, I want to see this spider. You know, yeah. This is strange. It's it's really really big orb weaver. They're called golden orb weavers. Golden so orb weavers. So their silk is gold colored. Wow. And they're very large spiders. Okay. So um, my in-laws were from that area where they were first introduced and first described. So I'd go down there and try to find them. Mm -hmm. And for several years, I couldn't find any. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, I went one time around Thanksgiving, and they were everywhere. Really? And so then that really was like, oh, okay, this isn't just a novelty. This might be an actual problem. And so that's what started the project to begin to kind of. In, in this whole region, I know over the last few years, um, we've had brown marmorated stink bugs, basically, mm -hmm. that are yeah. encroaching southward. I think they were first found in Pennsylvania after a shipping container mm -hmm. from Asia, you know, was dropped off, whatever. And all of a sudden, they saw the same thing, that they had no real natural predators, that their, uh, that their ecosystem just, they were thriving. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of the same situation? Was it potentially shipped over on a, in a package, or do we know how they got introduced? We don't know for sure, but the shipping container scenario is probably the one. I got gotcha. um, it's, it's the most likely uh, story, also because um, <clears throat> where they were first found, we know that there's like a, a railroad system that goes through and containers are coming in. Oh, yeah. And yep. also um, the genetic works that have been done on these spiders so far kind of suggest that they came from China. Okay. They're most similar to a Chinese population. Now, describe you, you describe you said the, the web they weave has a sort of a goldish tint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Describe the spider itself. It's a fairly large spider. Yeah, yeah. So as far as, I guess, on my hand, yeah. it would probably take up the majority of my palm. Wow. So it's a pretty big spider overall. Okay. Very very beautiful. It's a very colorful spider. Yeah. When they're fully grown, the legs will either be solid black or banded black and yellow. Okay. And then the abdomen has got uh, silver and yellow bands on it. Wow. And then on the underside, the, the ventral side of the abdomen, there's a big magenta or pinkish patch to it. Is it? So really? very colorful, very beautiful spider. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, there are types of those orb weavers are the mm -hmm. ones that do the little zigzag shapes yeah. that I've seen for years and years. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 this is a variation of of that, basically. Yeah, yeah. So um, orb weaving spiders are one of the most diverse families of spiders. Okay. They're certainly one of the most diverse of the web builders. Yes. Um, and there's all kinds. They range in size from incredibly small, like so, like you know, dot a period at the end of a sentence, kind of small, all huh. the way to this size, where they're very, very large. Really. Yeah. And now, are they aggressive or are they? What, what's their behavior? Uh, my experience, they yeah. are very, very timid. Okay. Um, so if I uh, disturb their web and kind of searching or going through the brush to find them, yeah. their response will be flee. Like okay. They'll, they'll run away to a like a, a high spot in their web or towards uh -huh. where they've got like an attachment point for vegetation. Yeah. So they'll run up to a leaf and hide. Okay. Or if you continue, they might drop from the web and kind of curl up and play dead on the on the ground, hoping that you can't see them anymore. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So to that, in my experience, again, most spiders that's their typical behavior. Right. Right. Yeah. In fact, and, they, they can be so skittish. There's one where because I'm going out and doing all these surveys now. Mm -hmm. um, you just your shadow passes over it and it just jumps out its web and falls to the ground <laughs> so i have to be real careful because i want to get a photograph of it to like not yeah not let it know that i'm there yeah yeah yeah. uh just before you um you got here today mm -hmm. you drove up um 
you gave me a text and you were like, yeah, well, I'm here, but I'm not here because right now I'm walking through the woods, crawling out, trying to find spiders and take pictures of them. Um, You're kind of, you do this in controlled situations where you can document the surroundings, where you can document how many spiders were spotted in a given time frame. Explain that to me. Yeah, so we want to be able to say, you know, we want to see if there's a pattern, you know, emerging, right? So yeah. if we're going to try to show that these spiders are causing a problem, yeah. um, we want to say, show that where they're found, we see a decrease in the diversity of other spider species, the native spider species. Yeah. To do that, we want to kind of have uh, control groups. So we'll go do surveys around Atlanta and where they're found and have been found for several years now. And then we want to control it. So we'll come to a place like, Knoxville or Nashville or Dixon yes and uh, we'll do some surveys up here where they haven't really been seen yet and if we look at who we're seeing in both locations they're close enough uh, geographically that they should be similar communities uh, okay and then you can compare and say okay when they're present we don't see these species or we see fewer overall okay. and then when they're not here's the true diversity that we would expect to see right so I was yeah go out and I'd <laughs> go for a walk for um, 10 minutes so I find okay. a spider start a timer and then i've got 10 minutes to take a slow walk and search for all the other spiders and photograph them that i can find within that time frame okay and i just do that over and over and over again in lots of different locations um hopefully i have enough sample where you can see a signal because there's you know right. a little bit a bit of noise in this process for sure for sure but eventually if you do that enough yeah. times you may see a, a pattern <clears throat> emerge mm-hmm. okay okay uh go back a little bit in your story mm-hmm. you said you spent a lot of time in california um talk about your schooling for a little bit and kind of how you how you got to this point sure yeah so you know fell in love with animals pretty early and then i ended up going to college and, and deciding what to major in so i graduated from the university of tennessee chattanooga okay and uh with a biology degree okay um and then i took a little time off as to figure out you know what i wanted to do yeah. and ended up going to graduate school in california at a, a place okay. called loma linda university okay yeah um, and i was able to study in a lab that focused on rattlesnakes and venomous animals wow. and uh some of the lab people in the lab had that had just come in uh had began to diversify into different types of venomous animals. So there were some people who were doing centipedes and people who were doing scorpions. And so when I approached the professor, I was like, well, what about spiders? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. We don't have anybody doing spiders. I was like, okay, that could be me. Yes. That's how I ended up in in, uh, Loma Linda in that particular lab. Uh And I studied uh, black widows. Okay. And I looked at um, how do these animals make decisions about when to use venom and when not to, What, what kinds of control do they actually have over the use of their venom hmm. because we've we can we've known from rattlesnakes right. that um they will dose the amount of venom that they deliver right so if the prey item is bigger yep. or smaller they will give it a, a dose appropriate for the vault for the size of the prey item that they're trying to subdue okay um and dry bites are very very common uh-huh. right? so just because something strikes at you or stings you doesn't mean actual venom has been transmitted yes so we were wanting to look at that in uh arthropod so okay. that's what i was kind of focused on for um with the black widows but there were some other things that i was able to do too so i wanted to compare male and female venom to say how do they differ because we've again across venomous animals the sexes might have different venom profiles oh, okay um, one of the things that's interesting about black widow venom is they have seven main toxins 
Five of them are specific to insect physiologies. So if I, if you were to have that particular toxin in your body, it shouldn't do anything to you right. because you don't have the right like it wouldn't bind to your receptors in the same way. But for insects, it would be potentially yes, deadly. Exactly. It okay. would it would paralyze them. It would mess with their kind of nervous system. Yeah. Um, in it also has one crustacean toxin and one vertebrate toxin, and that's the one that when a black widow bites somebody is causing all of the damage. Okay. As far as we know. Okay. So. Um, I was thinking, you know, like, why would... Ma there's a huge difference in size between a, ma a female and a male. Right. Males are very, very tiny in this particular species. So what would a small spider that probably would have a hard time biting a, a, a mammal yeah. of any kind, why would they have a vertebrate toxin? And so that's one of the things I wanted to investigate was, are they even producing it? Or yes. is this something that is really just a female-specific thing? Well, that's a good science question. I mean, that's a great question <laughs> to ask. Yeah. So... Like you said, we know in rattlesnakes and other mm -hmm. other creatures that they can dose their mm -hmm. the the amount delivered. Did you find the same thing for spiders? Yeah, we, we did. We okay. found good evidence that they can control whether to deliver venom or not. So okay. that's kind of the first level. Is it going to be dry or not? Okay. And then when they decide to deliver venom... Um, they will control the amount depending and for my particular study was based on like perceived threat so how dangerous is this situation how stressed am i okay if the stress increases they will deliver more venom in response to that really yeah because in some situations they're having to make these kind of choices in a very short period of time too yes. mm -hmm. yeah. okay so that's super interesting what kind of we know that there's an advantage to creatures to be able to mm -hmm to do this for predatory activity yeah. for food sources right mm -hmm. uh but we find the same thing is if they feel or perceive danger mm -hmm. they're obviously going to try to protect themselves by paralyzing whatever is causing the problem yeah. is that the case well um defensive use of venom is kind of a strange scenario really okay because uh, for a spider let's just take a spider example um how do they deliver their venom? Well, they've got these little fangs in the front of their face, right? Yeah. And they have that means that in order to envenomate, they have to get their most vulnerable part onto the thing that is attacking them, right? Oh. So as a strategy, that isn't a great strategy because no venom is so fast acting to instantaneously paralyze. There's always a little bit of latency between when the envenomation happens and when the, you know, if it's a neurotoxin, when paralysis sets in. Sure. Um, and in that time, if it's long enough, you could have retaliation. Okay. So that spider is in danger. Exactly. <clears throat> so one of the things that we try to do in these our experiment was to show that venom use is like a behavior of last resort. Okay. You know, they're not going to use it very early. They are <clears throat> reserving it for only when it is the most dire situations. Yeah. And that's what we were seeing with those dry bites or not, you know. And that's one of the things, first things you mentioned when I started talking about spiders is what is their behavior? Normally, they're going to try to get away. They're going to try to run. Yes. They're going to try to play dead. They're going to, for the most part, a lot of spiders are taking that sort of action mm -hmm. as a last resort. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. a spider, even those that are, we would term aggressive. Yeah. They're often aggressive because they're displaying. Okay. Right? 
they're trying to warn you, like, don't mess with me. They're yeah. giving you a chance to stop before anything escalates. Okay. And, you know, rattlesnakes are doing the same thing, right? That's the whole purpose of the tail is right. they do not actually want to strike you. Uh -huh. They're trying to say, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. You don't want to mess with me. Uh -huh. And if it persists, then they'll resort to striking behaviors. I got you. I was on uh, the uh, Natchez Trace, which is a local... Mm. Yes, a beautiful road that goes through here, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a lot of bicyclists, a lot of motorcycles. Mm -hmm. You know, very few cars, a lot of natural, lot of wildlife. Yeah. You'll have There's mule deer. Stopped. And, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I was on the trace the other day and saw a massive rattlesnake in oh, the middle okay. of the road, and everyone was slowing down, looking at it. Just it's just in the middle of the road. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they have their own ways to display and to say, stay away. That's right. Mm -hmm. But then you were mentioning, I can't remember. It was like a whip spider or something you were talking about that has this unusual way of fighting or showing its authority over another one of yeah, its kind. Yeah. Explain that to me. Yeah. So it's actually common for, uh, animals, even in like confrontations with each other for access to females for re reproductive yeah. scenarios that you know there's you, you think of the uh, examples of like bull elephants or you know big 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 horn sheep or something butting heads these violent events but for the most part <clears throat> they want to avoid becoming hurt i got you and so if a male is clearly larger than another yeah. the, the smaller male will just back down and it never escalates to the point it only escalates to the point where they're butting heads when the two males can't tell the quality difference between each other. Okay. Right? You see the same kind of things in these whip spiders where they will use their, uh, their pedipalps and they'll stretch them out. <laughs> and that's the first kind of, right, whoever's got the longer wingspan, the longer <laughs> arm span, that's the higher quality male. Right? Okay. But if two males are relatively close in length, then they'll resort to taking their kind of really long spindly legs that they use as antenna. Okay. And uh, they will wave them over each other. And there's a particular spot on their body um, mm -hmm. where they have these stiffened hairs mm -hmm. and they're waving it right over that spot because they're trying to overwhelm the senses because these hairs are connected to a nerve. And every time that hair wiggles, it's sending a nerve impulse. Yeah. And so they're kind of gauging each other's like, how long can you keep this up? And the longer they can keep it up, that's the higher quality male. So, yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, it's a strange huh. world. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay, so you are currently in Chattanooga. Yep. You are, are you teaching? Yes, yes. Okay, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I work at a small liberal arts college called Southern Adventist University. It's a Christian college. Okay. Uh, it's in just outside of Chattanooga, just a little bit north of it, um, between uh, Chattanooga and Cleveland, Tennessee. Oh yeah, I've yeah, been so, I've been through that area. Yeah, Lee University is another Christian college in yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so I teach uh, biology courses there. Um, okay. Right now I'm teaching general biology, animal behavior, and uh, an intro like freshman class. So okay. That's what I'm teaching this semester. I got you. Now, what's what is your favorite? What is your favorite topic? Are, is it is mm. it all like? Are we talking about spiders right now, or do you do you teach a broad array of things? I, I teach a broad array, okay. but um, definitely, if you ask my students, <laughs> spider examples are going to be the thing. You know, like that's what they remember. They know that I'm going to talk about that and use that as an example. That's the go-to. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you know, you spend yeah. so much time studying them and with them, you know, they tend to be your the thing that you can draw upon to illustrate a concept. Yeah. 
So, uh, but I, I like teaching. I teach a class on venom and poison because okay. of the work that I've done in the past. And then I teach the animal behavior class. And recently I've been uh, able to teach a class on philosophy of science dealing with creation, evolution, gotcha. and integration of faith and science issues. Yeah. That, that has been so much fun. I bet <laughs> it has. Yeah. I bet it has. Tell me just a little bit about venoms and toxins and all mm. of that from a creation versus evolution perspective sure, yeah. can you touch on that oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's it's actually one of my favorite examples um because venoms are a really interesting thing right so if you i mean we know organisms have changed through time they do change to an extent sure right the question that we are wrestling with is how much like and how does it really happen like yeah. what is what, what what is really going on here I think venoms offer a really unique window into answering those questions um, because if you look at most venoms, you can see that they trace back to just a normal physiological substance, right? Okay. So an example would be in rattlesnake venom, you have something called uh, uh, phospholipase A2, right? So it's just an enzyme yep, and it's responsible for uh, digesting a lipid, okay. a, part, a portion of your cell membrane, and it releases that and it, that acts as a second messenger. So it's part of cell communication. It's just okay. a normal physiological enzyme. Yeah. Right? Everybody uses it. Your body is using it right now. Okay. Rattlesnakes have taken that, and now they use it to disrupt the membrane of a cell. Right? Okay. So if you look at how the... Um, and maybe uh, I'll give you a different example to illustrate this. But mm -hmm. if you... Generally, the trend that you see is take a normal physiological thing chop it up and, and and overall reduce its complexity yeah. and now that becomes the venom right okay. so the flavor of evolution or the flavor of change that we're seeing uh -huh. is a reduction in complexity not a, As a all of a sudden something new is showing up and you're creating something from nothing so to speak right everything it, has a base everything has a base so yeah. you're saying it uh in most cases it appears to be something that is pre-existing mm -hmm. that has uh, either taken on a slightly different shape or it has been mm -hmm. reduced in yeah. whether you want to say complexity or not, but yeah. it's been reduced to a point where it's being used for a different purpose. Yes. And we sometimes those purposes can be things like toxins, venoms, thing, right. things yeah. that would be harmful. Sure. A anything that disrupts physiology, right? Okay. And the thing that you're trying to subdue for food yeah. would be a good venom, right? right. That's, that's what a venom is. So a good example to illustrate this is something called a snake venom metalloprotease. So we call the SVMPs. Okay. Venom metalloprotease. Mm -hmm. um, its normal physiological thing is called uh, an atom, a disintegrin and metalloprotease, and it's just a normal enzyme. Okay. When you compare the atoms with the snake venom metalloproteases, you very clearly see that you have deleted a bunch of stuff to get to the snake venom metalloprotease. Okay. And now that thing is just a digestive enzyme. Uh-huh. You know, but you've lost, you can very clearly see how you've lost information to get there. Interesting. So loss of function is one of those things, right? So like polar bear is an example, yeah. right? They're grizzly bears, but they have loss of function mm -hmm. mutations. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens in vampire bats where you go, you get this switch to from probably being uh, sugar eaters, pollinator kinds of things. Yeah. And then you have the reduction in the total like enzymes and now they're blood eaters, blood feeders instead. And so you have a loss of function mutation that can explain that. Loss of function, yeah. but fulfills another ecological That's niche. Right. It sounds mm -hmm. like 
great engineering principles at play. Sure, yeah. Dr. David Nelson, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing this. Even though it's a topic that I'm not the most fond of, I found this absolutely fascinating, and I think our viewers did too. So thank you again. And thank you for joining us. This is Changing the Narrative. I'm your host, David Reeves. Remember to keep looking up, because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Find us on all social platforms to stay informed. Watch Genesis Science Network 24-7 for free on Roku, Fire TV, and on our website.